get back those shoes for when Colin is leaving. Um, for those of you that are thinking it's the first Sunday of the month and there's no communion, um, it's the first Sunday of the month and there is no communion, uh, we've put it off till next week. Uh, so if you come next week, we'll have communion and it'll be wonderful. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that your name is glorious. Thank you, Father, that you have written ancient words for us. Words of life and words of hope, words of truth. Lord, as we turn now and we look at, at the story of Peter and Cornelius, I, I pray that you would help us to, to see the truth that you want to teach us this day. Father, give us open hearts and minds and ears. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. Amen. When I drive around, um, it's very usual for me to have my radio on one of either two stations. If it's good time of the day, I'll have 720 ABC on. And if it's a boring time of the day or there's cricket on all day, I'll switch over to 585. Sorry, I don't like the cricket. I'll switch to 585 news radio. Listen to the BBC or the Dutch. I was driving, I think it was yesterday, I was driving along listening to the radio 585, and there was a story about a Sri Lankan who had moved back home. He was getting married, uh, and his friend was getting married. But the really interesting part of the story was that his friend was getting married to somebody in the wrong caste. Sri Lanka runs on a caste system, and he was marrying someone in a lower caste than him. And as a result of that, his parents refused to have anything to do with the wedding. His whole family rejected him. Very sad, the guy says, he's walking down the street and his favorite uncle walks to the other side of the road when he sees him. And you know, as I, as I listen to stories like that, I, I can't help but think about my own prejudices. I can't help but think about the prejudices that we bring into the church. I, I'm, I'm very fortunate by God's grace. I grew up in a family in South Africa um, where black people were not treated as inferior to white people. And by the time I went to high school, uh, the whole apartheid system was busy crumbling. But my father tells a story, and, and it's a story of which I'm sure he's very ashamed, and, and he has told it to groups of people before, so I'm... I'm sure he won't mind me telling you, but during his childhood, he used to refuse to sit in the back seat of a car where there was a black man sitting on the other seat. He grew up being taught white good, black bad. And he did grow out of that by the grace of God. He saw that the gospel releases us and, and we are all equal in God's sight, but but you know, he, when he became a pastor in South Africa and he dared to stand up from the pulpit and say, we are equal in God's sight. The trouble that he got into from the congregation. Because many people in the church had just co-opted the prejudice of society. And they said, this is right. They tried to justify it. This morning we're, we're continuing our series 
on the book of Acts. And you're probably sitting there thinking, what do you mean we're continuing our series? Um, If you think back to January two years ago, January 2008, we started a series on the books of Acts. We did four weeks and then... And then we came to January 2009 and we did another four weeks on the book of Acts and, and I thought just to be different in 2010, new decade and whatnot, let's do another four weeks of Acts. So we're going to continue our, our long running series and we're looking at, at one of the most important episodes in the life of the early church. Uh, Peter, we see meeting with Cornelius, the the centurion, the Roman, the, the, the Gentile. Um, let me just recap to you the story of Acts so far in, in very broad brushstrokes. Uh, the story of Acts is, is part two of, of Luke's Gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it's the continuing story of what God is doing through the church after Jesus ascended. And, and in the chapters up to chapter 10, we've seen how gradually the gospel is being spread out from Jerusalem into the rest of the world. And here we come, chapter 10, as I said, to this, it's really a pivotal moment in the history of the church. The moment where, where the church goes from being a, a bunch of Jews who believe in Jesus to being a church of all nations of people regardless of race or creed. There's really two stories, the story of of Cornelius and the story of Peter. One of them in in Joppa, a seaport, yeah, and and the other of them, Cornelius in Caesarea, another port city, uh, about 50 kilometers apart. uh, I think Joppa is south of Caesarea, although it might be north. Sorry, geography is not my strong point. Luke tells us in chapter 10 verse 1 that Cornelius the centurion of the Italian regiment was staying in Caesarea. This was an important man in probably the most important city in the region. As the centurion in the Roman army, he'd have around about a hundred men under his direct authority. He would have been one of the people walking through the city and people making way for him. He was an important man in an important city. Caesarea was was one of the key places where the boats carrying grain from Egypt to Rome would stop off. Um, It's it's a city that King Herod had had decked out as sort of a, a tribute. Put your own impression on why he did it, but but he was trying to curry favour with Rome. And he named it after Caesar, hence Caesarea. There was even, in fact, a temple in Caesarea where you could go and worship the Caesar. Caesarea was the place where the Roman uh, governor for the the district of Palestine lived. It actually had more non-Jewish people living in Caesarea than Jewish people. And most Jews would sell their hind teeth before going to Caesarea. They did not want to go there. It was, it was the city where Rome was almost thumbing their noses at the Israelites. And here we have Cornelius, centurion. 
a man I'd like to suggest to you desperately seeking God in this city. This city where Jews and Gentiles hated each other. AD 66, according to a historian Josephus, AD 66, all 20,000 Jews living in Caesarea were massacred by the Romans. There was bad blood in this city and right in the middle of it we have Cornelius. He's not a bad bloke as far as Romans went. Verse 22 tells us that that he was well respected by all the Jews in the city. Luke tells us in in chapter 10 verse 2 that he was a devout man, that that his whole family was devout. They were God-fearers. They were seeking after God. He he prayed on a regular basis. He, He gave generously to those who had need. But he was a Gentile. He wasn't Jewish and because he wasn't Jewish he would never really be accepted by the Jews. Might be respected, never befriended. He could never really be one of God's people. And then we have the story about three o'clock in the afternoon he's, he's up and he's praying and he has a vision. This this Gentile, this non-Jewish man, this, this Roman soldier sees an angel, a messenger from God. And the angel tells him, reassures him that, that his prayers and his, his actions towards the poor have been noted. And, and it's almost like the angel says, you know Cornelius, God can see how much you are longing to find him. God has heard your prayers and He's answering you now. I tell you what, Cornelius, send to Joppa. Send for Simon Peter. He's staying in the house of Simon the Tanner. Um, Just by the way, finding Simon the Tanner is not going to be too difficult uh, because tanneries have a tendency to to have a slight aroma. Um, Not the place I would stay for a holiday, I don't think, but that's where Peter was staying. Says the angel, send for Simon Peter. Implication, he has got an important message for you. And so Cornelius straight away he gets together a couple of servants, one of his trusted soldiers, a, a, a soldier who we're told is devout, who was also seeking after God, and, and he sends them off to Joppa. As I said, 50 kilometers away, about a day and a half's march. And by the next day, midday, they're walking into town. And we see the next part of the story. Peter is, is on the roof. It's about midday and he's praying. And It's not always a good idea to go and pray when your stomach is rumbling. <laughs> Very distracting. Anyway, he's up there and he's already asked for them to make him a snack. And, and they're down in the house getting some food ready for him. But as he's praying and his stomach is rumbling, Peter falls into a trance. And he sees this vision, which I'm sure you've heard before, of, of the bedsheet. Well, not a bedsheet. I think of it as a bedsheet. This, this big sheet coming down from heaven. And it's just absolutely chock-a-block loaded full of animals and reptiles and snakes and birds and, and all sorts of things. It's 
sort of things a good Jew would never be found dead with. And then to make matters worse, there's a voice coming down from heaven that says, Peter, get up, kill the meat, and have something to eat. And I just love old Peter. He's he's such a human bloke. He sees the stuff coming down, this wonderful vision. He hears God say, eat. And he turns around and he says, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin, Ah, uh-uh, God, no way am I going to touch that stuff. Surely not, Lord. I don't eat anything clean, unclean or impure. You sort of see his nose go up as he says that. I don't eat that sort of stuff, God. Because Peter was a good Jew. Peter knew all about the Old Testament food laws. He knew that God had put in the past certain things off limit and And he'd spent his whole life living a kosher life, eating only the right stuff. And so when God comes around and says, look, I'm I'm, I'm giving you permission to eat this stuff, Peter is disgusted. Peter is literally disgusted. He he knows it's God speaking to him. He calls him Lord, but, but God says eat. And Peter says, God, you've gone one step too far. And God says, verse 15, to Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And you'd think, okay, this is a nice story. God says, eat. Peter says, no. God says, it's fine. End of story. But I just love Peter because it's not the end of the story. It happens again. Same thing. Sheep comes down. God says, eat. Peter says, no. God says, yes. Repeat again. (laughs) Such a typical Peter reaction. You know, it brings to mind uh, what he did in in Mark chapter 8. Jesus is telling the disciples uh, about his upcoming death. And Peter pulls him to the side and says, Jesus, let's just have a chat quickly. Don't talk rubbish. That's not the way things are going to go. It's the same thing here as it was back in Mark chapter 8. Peter's presuppositions about how things work didn't gel with what God was saying. Peter's idea of a Messiah didn't include him dying. Peter's idea of good living, godly living, didn't include changing the habits he'd grown up with. Back in Mark 8, Jesus, I imagine clipping Peter along the ear saying, get behind me, Satan, you're talking drivel. But here, the vision comes down three times. And Luke tells us in verse 17 that Peter is left wondering. Wondering about the meaning of the vision. He's he's struggling with what God is saying to him. He's trying to gel everything that he has held with what God is saying now. Verse 19, he's still thinking about it. When the blokes arrive from, from Caesarea and God says by the Holy Spirit, Peter... Some blokes here to see you go with them. 
And the thing which strikes me about this whole incident in, in Peter's vision is that during the vision, Peter refused to, to change his views. God said, eat. Three times, Peter said, ah, ah. But you know, to his credit, to his credit, Peter was willing to struggle through what God was trying to teach him. He, he knew God was, was telling him something and he, he knew he had to think it through. Couldn't just dismiss the vision. And people come and he goes to Caesarea, meets with Cornelius. Can you see the, 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 almost the contradiction happening there? We've got Peter the good Jew meeting with the Gentile Roman Cornelius. Cornelius living in the hated city, the unclean city of Caesarea, and Peter, who wouldn't even eat food when God said it was okay to eat food. You know, under normal circumstances, I'm, I'm certain that, that the two of them would never have met. I can't imagine Peter before this vision having the gall to go into Cornelius' house, probably having a meal with him. No self-respecting Jew would go into a Gentile house. Who knew what uncleanness and impurity and, and, and sinfulness there was in that place? There, there was some, there's some writing from about that time that said some Jews were put into jail. The Roman jail, they, they had to be there. They didn't have a choice, but, but they ate nothing but figs and, and nuts because they were so frightened of, of breaking the clean laws, of, of, of giving in and becoming like the Gentiles. You see, as I look at, at, at Acts chapter 10, I see a self-respecting Jew named Peter has fallen into the trap of assuming that if you want to be Christian, you have to be Jewish. You have to follow this and this and this. You have to be ritually clean. You have to be separate. You have to be distinct. Peter assuming that Jesus had come to save the Jews. And it was just common sense. Everyone knew the Messiah was coming to save the Jewish people. They were the ones who were God's chosen people. They were the ones who had the commandments from old. You're probably sitting here thinking, oh, this is interesting and, and good history lesson, but oh, really, what, what does chapter 10 mean for us today? I mean, let's be honest, it's, it's not very likely that we'll have any problem eating bacon. I love my bacon. I'm not going to say to God, disgusting, I won't eat. Not many of us are worried about going into the home of a non-Jewish person. Most of us are non-Jewish people. This, this seems to be a, a nothing story to us. 
But I'd like to suggest this morning that there's a principle in Acts chapter 10 which we need to hear just as much as Peter needed to hear it all those years ago. And it's, it, it's, it's what Peter says in, in chapter 10, verse 34. Peter began to speak and he said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. We need to hear the truth that God does not show favoritism and if God does not show favoritism, we have no right to call unclean that which God has called clean. If God doesn't show favoritism, then there is no room for prejudice or presupposition in the church. I mean, Peter's prejudice was against eating unclean food and meeting with, with Romans, with Gentiles. I mean, that's, that's the stuff he'd grown up with. Verse 14, he turns to God and he says, I have never eaten any, anything impure or unclean. In other words, I've, I've lived my life not doing this and I'm not going to change now. You know, Peter was so busy looking back at, at what he thought was, was right that he missed the whole point of the Gospel. That God had come, that Jesus had come to save all who would call on His name. I do wonder what prejudices and presuppositions we bring with us into the church. What we've adopted and taken from society and and thought of as gospel truth. The very early church thought the church was just for Jewish people. In South Africa, as I said, the churches took society's view and said, Racial discrimination is good and godly. What about here? What about today, Australia, West Australia? Can I be really bold and controversial? I wonder whether one of the things we've taken from society is perhaps patriarchalism. I mean, society's grown up saying men are in charge, women are not. And, and I wonder whether the church hasn't taken that on and said, well, this is gospel truth. We've got a female elder. Many churches would have a heart attack if we dared to have a female elder. And I know it's a complex issue. There's, there's arguments back and forth. But you know, Peter had good arguments to refuse God as well. Maybe, maybe our presuppositions and prejudices are, are less controversial. Maybe we presume that there are certain kinds of people that, that really the Gospel just can't reach to. How many of us here, if God gave us a vision, God gave us a calling and said, go and, and, and speak to murderers in jail. That's not really church folk, is it? 
What about if God said, go and speak to the local prostitutes and give them the gospel? No, look, we're we're, we're good people. We don't need that kind of person in the church. Any number of lower class people, I wonder whether we don't think, no, they don't, they don't really fit. There's no point taking the gospel to them. I mean, in theory, yes, we know God doesn't show favoritism. What about in practice? I mean, Peter knew the theory. Peter knew that God doesn't show favoritism. Look at verse 28. Peter has this epiphany from God. God has shown me I should not call any man impure or unclean. In verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism. He didn't use the theory, but it took a divine kick in the pants for him to realize it and put it into practice. My friends, I think we need to be willing to have God challenge every single belief and supposition that we bring. I mean, God's in charge. Please don't be like Peter and say, God, don't offer me that stuff. Allow ourselves to be challenged. Because if I look at Acts chapter 10, I see the good news that God has broken down all the barriers that once divided us humans. In Christ, there are no divisions. Who are we to say that is unclean or That person is unclean. When God has said in Christ, I offer cleanness, I offer new life to all who would come and ask. Back in the story, Peter arrives in Caesarea, he goes in to Cornelius' house, horror of horrors, a Jew going into a Gentile home. Because he has realized the truth that Jesus came to break divisions, to make clean that which was unclean. Because he's finally clicked that God doesn't show favorites, and neither can we as a church. I mean, what a wonderful God we serve who, who doesn't show favorites. You know, I'm sure that day when Peter had his vision, I'm I'm sure he never thought that he would be walking into a Gentile house the next evening. But God challenged him and Peter allowed himself to be challenged by God. And he shared the good news with Gentiles. The gospel spread. Who are we going to share the good news with? The druggie next door? The murderer in jail? 
the homeless, the sick. That bloke at work always laughs at you when you speak about your faith. That person down the road who thinks Jesus' name is, is the best swear word since sliced bread. People we'd never expect to walk through the doors of a church building. says Acts chapter 10 the gospel came for all who might receive it. Galatians 3.28 Paul says it well for now there is neither Jew nor Gentile save nor free male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. May God challenge our presuppositions and grow his church. Amen. Thanks, Parsonic. If I didn't say Happy New Year, Happy New Year to everybody. I'll do it in on that. It's easier. Uh, please stay for a cuppa if you um, are new, and if you're not new, get on your horse and go home. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, yeah, everybody, um, we usually have fellowship after church, so please uh, stay behind and um, get to know us, and uh, we're not a bad bunch, and um, I think. We're also having the afternoon tea for Helen and John, so please stay for that as well. So let's all stand and sing the final song. Um, God send his son. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to